Hey everyone, and welcome to the North County Beat, a podcast by the Coast News Group. I'm your host, Kelly Kyle. Today's episode is the second part of our two-part series on human trafficking in San Diego County. We take a look at how the issue is being addressed in the area and some of the challenges that come along with these efforts. But first, a quick message from a sponsor of the North County Beat. If you're looking for a safe place to take your family for some holiday cheer, check out the San Diego Botanic Garden Holiday Botanic Wonderland. Botanic Wonderland is now open most evenings through December 20th at the San Diego Botanic Garden in Encinitas. This family-friendly event includes festive displays of lighted animals, laser lighting, and fire pits, and their plant collection illuminated in a way that you have not experienced before. Live music is offered nightly with musicians roaming about the garden. For tickets, visit sdbgarden.org. Okay, now let's jump in. Again, please note that today's episode contains references of sexual and physical abuse that may be triggering for some listeners. Something you should know about this reporting is that it was inspired by another piece from the Coast News written by our editor-in-chief, Jordan Ingram. So this is recording. Okay. So with human trafficking, you did a story on this, and that's how the idea for this podcast came about. Jordan also researched this topic extensively for his piece, and the original reason he published it was because he found this crazy local YouTube channel run by this guy who calls himself Ghost. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Ghost from CC Unit, and for those of you guys who are watching this channel for the first time, I'm Ghost, the founder of CC Unit. I first came across a video of CC Unit, which is short for Creep Catcher Unit, in late August, and it was entitled, Cautious Creep Wants to Be Daddy to a Minor, number 153. Um, it was kind of a odd-looking video, and I, uh, I clicked on it. Some viewers may find the following video disturbing. Viewer discretion is advised. So Jordan did some digging, and he realized that the format of the channel was kind of like a familiar TV show. It's, it's inspired by Chris Hansen's To Catch a Predator, like kind of a popular... TV show where online predators arrive at a house and they think they're going to meet a minor, but instead it's Chris Hansen waiting in the kitchen for them and confronts them. So the video that Jordan found started with screenshots of a text conversation between a possible predator and one of Ghost's fake online profiles where he pretends to be a teenager. They talk about meeting up, but Ghost has something to tell his new friend. I hope you're not mad. I'm 14. At first, the target who said he lives in Encinitas says, you know, I won't get with a minor. But he continues to reach out to the decoy. He's continuing to contact him and send him messages. Eventually, in one exchange, the predator asks Ghost's decoy account if he can be their daddy. After that, he continues to make sexual comments, but quickly follows with things like, you'd have to be 18. And then, in September, the predator asks the decoy if they can be cuddle buddies, and they try to take things offline. Finally, they agree to meet up at a parking lot near a Menchie's frozen yogurt on September 11th in Oceanside. Um, and this is the catch date. The catch date is the day that Ghost goes to interact with the predator. He'll meet up with them in person and confront them. The people, they do everything from try to run away, they've put their t-shirt over their face, they've tried to grab his cell phone, and some of them sit down and talk with him. 
So on September 11th in Oceanside, Ghost approaches the vehicle of the man he had been fake chatting with online. Dude, what are you doing? Where are you going? Um, no. The predator notices Ghost approaching his car and he gets spooked. So Ghost is running up to catch the car and he finally reaches the driver's side door. He looks in the window and asks him, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? And um, why are you running away? I'm going to call the cops if you leave. I'm going to send him over to your house. Okay, I'm going to send him over to your house. As Ghost is saying this, the predator starts speeding out of the lot. But as he's driving away, you notice two things in the video. One, his car has temporary paper dealer plates that read like Bob Stahl Chevrolet. But the other important thing that you see on the back bumper of the vehicle, on either side of the license plate are these stickers that say Garden State Bagels. He came in his work truck! And that's it. With those two bits of information, Ghost is able to piece together the man's identity and show his picture on the YouTube video. His vigilante work basically publicly shames predators into not enticing minors, and it also brings major awareness to the issue. Here's how Ghost describes his channel in an introductory video. These are the goals of this movement, to bring awareness, to bring education, to bring safety, and hopefully strengthens law and legislation against these people that we expose and showing reality what's out the, what's actually happening outside. Now the type of people Ghost is catching might surprise you. Back to Jordan. And one of the things he told, you know, he told me that was really profound about his experience doing this is he said you just don't know who someone is. You know, you can know them for 10 years. These are people who seem completely normal, you know, average Joe, but they're creeps. You just don't know who they are. When he first started doing this, Ghost would call the cops every time he interacted with a predator. But he stopped, because he said it was rare for charges to actually be pressed against these guys. That doesn't mean that law enforcement isn't paying attention to his channel. Like, in this one video he posted... One of them was um, a high school teacher in Los Angeles, and shortly after he posted the video, he was contacted by um, the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force, who asked him for the chat logs and video of his interactions. And all of the work that Ghost is doing is in his spare time. He has another job and everything. He told Jordan that he just needed to do something about the child exploitation problem. He said he noticed that there was a lot of creeps, what he calls them, in the area, and he wanted to do something about it. He thought it made him, you know said it made him sick and he wanted to make a change. Ghost is mostly targeting the child exploitation side of the trafficking conversation. If any of these predators were to engage in sex with a minor, that would be a crime, since by law, minors cannot consent to sex acts. Even though Ghost stopped calling the cops on his catches, San Diego is also working to address this issue and the general human trafficking problem. But when you're fighting the second largest criminal industry in the county, District Attorney Summer Steffen says things can get complicated. We have to tackle it on multiple fronts, and that's what San Diego has done, and we've shown statistically that our formula works. In San Diego, efforts to raise awareness about human trafficking have led to a significant increase in reporting, according to District Attorney Steffen. She explains that this is critical when you're dealing with a crime that hides in plain sight. The best asset for the traffickers is that victims do not report and community doesn't report. And so when you shift that and you make it, you bring it out of the shadows 
and you have a 27% increase in reporting, you know that you have a strategy um, that you've implemented, a combat strategy that is working. The strategy in question involves several different elements. As you heard about in the last episode, San Diego has formed this massive coalition called the San Diego Human Trafficking Task Force. It's made up of multiple law enforcement agencies, including the California Department of Justice, the FBI, San Diego District Attorney's Office, San Diego Sheriff's Department, and more. Plus, they also work with a few victim service providers like North County Lifeline. The law enforcement agencies on the task force will conduct their own investigations and sometimes undercover operations to stop traffickers and sex buyers. Task Force Commander Jeannie Franco says cooperation is key because trafficking isn't just happening in one place. Because you can have a trafficker that lives in um, one city and recruits a girl who lives in another city and then makes her do a job in another city. And so all, all of the law enforcement from everywhere has to be like all together so we pass the information and we can figure out what's happening and, you know, how it's working. Now there are two sides to tackling the trafficking equation, supply and demand. The task force addresses both, but like everything else surrounding this issue, it can be tricky. One thing that makes it difficult to stop sex buyer activity is the way that these offenders are penalized. For example, I asked Commander Franco what happens when someone is convicted for buying a person for sex. It's a small fine and a couple of classes. The district attorney explained that many of these classes bring in survivors of human trafficking who share their experiences and explain how prostitution is not a voluntary thing. That part of the solution is totally understandable. But is this class plus the small fine enough to actually keep people from doing this again? Franco isn't so sure. It's a slap on the wrist, basically. And so why not? Why not? chance it again. So you think that like a steeper fine would be more effective than like classes or anything? Yeah, it'd make them think twice, right? If it's a $150 fine, no one's really going to know. If it's something like a DUI where you've got like thousands and thousands of dollars that you've got to pay, now somebody's probably going to know, you know, what you did because you have to tell them you're, you know, you need $5,000 from your bank or whatever. So, you know, and that fund, those funds could be used for victim services. As law enforcement addresses the demand side of sex trafficking, they're also investigating the suppliers. Traffickers are mostly motivated by money. In fact, because the industry is so lucrative, Franco explains that many who get convicted will jump right back in after serving their time. They're in for three, four years, and then they're out, and they literally start right back up again. I mean, we've literally seen that, like, multiple times. Catching these traffickers requires a lot more planning than you might think. Police aren't breaking down doors and windows to conveniently happen upon a major trafficking operation. Similar to how Ghost catfishes online predators, cops are kind of catfishing traffickers by posing as sex buyers online and setting up a date with a potential victim. Unfortunately, we have to do those types of operations in order to uncover something that is going on. Basically, the undercover agent uses that meeting to speak with the victim alone to figure out if they're being trafficked and if they need help. If the person does admit experiencing force, fraud, or coercion, police are able to take action against the trafficker and connect the victim with on-call service providers like the team at North County Lifeline. If the person says no, everything's fine, and they're in that space of their own free will, they get a citation, and the officer still shares a few resources in the event that this person is a victim but not ready to self-identify. So we can't say, okay, we're just going to label you. Yes, we know, because we don't. So... 
unless you're telling us, then we can say, okay, totally different scenario at this point. And that right there is why the idea of just legalizing prostitution as a way to bring the industry out of the dark would actually make it more challenging for law enforcement to identify trafficking victims. Franco explained that an officer who cites someone for prostitution isn't trying to take them to jail or anything like that. They use that interaction as an opportunity to reach out in case that person is experiencing something bad. Right now, it's, it's not legal. And then you kind of are able to get to the bottom of it, right? Like I said, that's our opportunity to say, hey, we're here, so tell us your story. It would make it really difficult if, you know, that weren't the case. Because really, then how would you go out and identify? Officers aren't going to go out there and just do that because there's no legality to it. So even if prostitution were totally legal, Franco says trafficking would still happen because no matter how you spin it, there will be cases where someone, like a pimp, tries to take a cut of whatever somebody else is making by having sex with buyers. In order to tell whether a situation is dangerous, law enforcement needs to identify some things that are harder to see. Power, it's the manipulation, it's, it's all of those factors that have nothing to do with um, whether or not prostitution is legal or not. The state of California has decriminalized parts of prostitution over the years to give those in the space more rights and to make their experiences safer. Some groups of self-identified sex workers also hope to see prostitution totally legalized, which often conflicts with the views of trafficking survivor advocates who say that a majority of people in the life do not want to be there. Remember Marjorie Saylor from Part 1? As a sex trafficking survivor, she says even those who say they feel empowered can eventually feel trapped. You will tell yourself that and you will try to convince everyone else around you that this is what you want to do, this is what you want for your life, and you're good at it, and you make lots of money. And um, so the people that we're hearing from that are really pushing for this legislation are some of those, those few that really think that they feel empowered by this work, and they're not taking into consideration the over 90% that are completely just, their lives are being devastated. There's another obstacle that police may have to overcome when working with trafficking survivors, distrust of law enforcement. It's a common strategy for traffickers to tell victims not to trust law enforcement, and that can have a huge impact on whether somebody self-reports. It's also not uncommon for trafficking survivors to develop a distrust of police on their own, after experiencing situations where cops are complicit in their situation. Dr. Amy Carpenter is an associate professor at the University of San Diego and the co-author of the massive 2016 study on sex trafficking. She interviewed multiple convicted traffickers in the region, and some, but not all, reported that military and off-duty sheriffs and deputies would come to them as sex buyers. Others talked about paying off police officers so that they'd cruise on by instead of citing their girls when they see them out. This is not an indictment of the whole police institution, but there are definitely, you know, cases where law enforcement benefits from it. There are cases where law enforcement participates uh, in it. And so for if, if a victim has had a police officer as a client, let's say, um, in what kind of impression is that going to leave on her? I asked District Attorney Stefan and Commander Franco about this, and they said that they don't see this happening on a large scale in San Diego. But when the task force is made aware of an issue, Stefan says it is immediately addressed. 
there are bad actors and we've actually prosecuted you know law enforcement for uh, soliciting prostitution so no you know everyone's accountable under the law mm-hmm. so but we have not but this is a, a one-off incidence it, it's not endemic in the culture in San Diego we've heard of it more in other areas but we haven't fortunately confronted it in San Diego still when a survivor experiences violence at the hands of police it can be difficult for them to feel safe working with law enforcement. That's according to Kay Thomas of North County Lifeline, an NGO offering case management services for survivors. It is a real struggle because it's hard to move forward with prosecution. It's hard to move forward with uh, bringing down some traffickers or certain criminal organizations without the cooperation of victims. And yet it's still our responsibility to move forward and do that no matter what. And so it's a hard space to be in, um, especially for a victim of sex trafficking, of You know, I don't want this to occur to anyone else. And also my experience tells me that law enforcement isn't safe. So what can be done to restore trust and encourage people experiencing trafficking that it's okay to come forward? Unfortunately, I don't have an answer for you. But I did ask Dr. Carpenter about this, and she mentioned that the Human Trafficking Task Force opened that discussion a few years back. We had a conversation a couple of years ago where everyone started brainstorming ideas. They started thinking about this building near the George Bailey Prison in eastern San Diego and what it might look like if it were transformed into a space to help young people who are experiencing trafficking. And it's a big warehouse, you know, could we outfit that uh, with like, you know, it's really beautiful inside, it's comfortable, there are social, social workers there, there are counselors there. The point of the space wouldn't be to make anyone feel like they're under arrest. It would serve as this kind of trust incubator between law enforcement and specifically youth engaged in trafficking. Law enforcement's heart is in the right place. But again, the younger the person is, the more likely it is they've been programmed to view law enforcement as the bad guys. Mm -hmm. Don't trust them. The trafficker has told them, don't trust them. They're going to say they want to help you, but they really don't. What they really want to do is get me and they'll say anything to you. So that's what that's what they believe. I see. Yeah. yeah. Getting them out of that situation. Because if the cop does say, or the agent says like, hey, we're here to help you, but there's this distrust that's already been yeah. embedded in this person. Yeah. And what do yeah. you do? You can't arrest them. You, yeah. You take them yeah. to the third party facility or like, that's not a jail, but it's just a place to get some help. Exactly. And you have, what if you have survivors there, you know, people who were in the life and are now out of the life. We have a lot of survivor leaders in the San Diego community. So instead of police, you have survivors and you have social workers and counselors who are, who are different. You know, they, they haven't been programmed to fear those people. And the, the survivors speak the language of the streets and of the life and can get through to them. Although this particular discussion was left at the brainstorm a few years ago, there are other strategies that the San Diego Human Trafficking Task Force is pursuing right now to prevent youth from getting into the life. We set up a trafficking prevention collective. District Attorney Stefan is talking about a San Diego-specific program that partners with local schools to teach kids about exploitation to prevent them from becoming victims someday. The state has human trafficking curriculum, and this program makes it available to San Diego County students for free. There's a big focus on self-worth, so kids of all ages are less likely to be exploited for their vulnerabilities. It also has an early use, you know, for uh, eight-year-olds to to 16-year-olds on uh, 
resilience building so that they're not relying for their confidence and their self-worth on what compliments these social media people are coming at them with, but rather relying on themselves, on their their boundaries, their body, image, uh, respect, and everything else. The San Diego Trafficking Prevention Collective is also addressing gender equity and teaching kids the dangers that come with buying another person. Stefan says this can curb demand down the line. The buyers are almost 100% male. The only way to stop this problem is if we also educate our boys about the demand and about that when you are buying a human being for sex, like a slice of pizza, you are contributing to slavery and to human trafficking because it's a, you're the one providing the money. At first, it might seem strange that these programs are talking about this issue with kids in school. But remember, teens can easily become victims of labor trafficking, like what you heard about with Marjorie Saylor in Part 1. In sex trafficking, the average age of a victim in San Diego County is 16. Plus, Dr. Carpenter's report interviewed traffickers who saw both pimps and victims getting into the life even younger. The San Diego Trafficking Prevention Collective kind of has to be in this space. And they aren't the only ones doing so. North County Lifeline's largest department focuses on this same thing in an effort to give at-risk youth a safe place to build resiliency. Here's Kay Thomas again. Most of our work is actually on the front end, working with youth who maybe they have just come in contact with the juvenile justice system for the first time. Maybe this is the first time incident of child abuse being reported in a family. And so a lot of our work is actually on the front end, trying to um, do early intervention and prevention work to build strong families and to build resilient youth kind of in the community of North County. The idea is that when kids are learning about trafficking and spending their time outside of school in programs from North County Lifeline or other supportive spaces, they aren't going to be as interested in working with a trafficker to get something that they want or chatting with strangers online for companionship. Like District Attorney Stefan said early on, this truly is a multifaceted approach that could very well spawn a generation of resilient youth who become vigilant adults when it comes to identifying and reporting any kind of trafficking. Still, it's a huge undertaking, and only time will tell how this approach will play out in the long term. But the conversation on how to fight and prevent human trafficking is definitely happening. By the way, if you or someone you know could be experiencing trafficking or exploitation, you can call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888 or text the words BEFREE or 233-733. That's a wrap on our two-part series on human trafficking. Make sure you check out our latest bonus episode two to hear this full interview with Dr. Amy Carpenter. She's the USD professor who co-authored the massive 2016 sex trafficking study. Her research went deep inside the lives of traffickers and victims, and not gonna lie, the findings were fascinating. So make sure you check out that full interview. Before we head out, a reminder that the San Diego Botanic Garden is a proud sponsor of the North County Beat. If you're looking for a safe place to take your family for some holiday cheer, check out the San Diego Botanic Garden Holiday Botanic Wonderland, open most evenings through December 20th at the San Diego Botanic Garden in Encinitas. This family-friendly event includes festive displays of lighted animals, laser lighting, and fire pits, and their plant collection illuminated in a way that you have not experienced before. Live music is offered nightly, with musicians roaming about the garden. 
Get your tickets at sdbgarden.org. We have a few people to thank today. Podcast manager Ryan Woltz. Huge shout out to the Coast News Editor-in-Chief Jordan Ingram, whose voice you heard earlier and whose reporting kicked off this series on trafficking. Coast News Associate Publisher is Chris Kidd, and our publisher is Jim Kidd. Thank you so much for listening to the North County Beat. I'm your host, Kelly Kyle. Hope you have a great week, an even better holiday, and we'll talk to you next time.